This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Bread aisle, are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread amplified. With an impressive 46 goals in 144 appearances for the club, please, everybody, welcome Kevin Gallagher. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. It's, uh, I'm glad you guys got in touch and it's nice to have a chat. Uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of it because it's big celebrations at the moment, isn't it? And 14th of May brings back some great memories. So I actually grew up in Preston myself. So Preston were always my kind of biggest rivals and the team that I wanted to beat more than Burnley and everything from the other fans. So I've got to say my favourite goal of yours ever was at Ewood Park in the Carling Cup against Preston. Preston. They hit that shot and it just flew and it just curl out of nowhere right into the corner of the net. So just absolutely just amazing. And I still remember just seeing it from the Blackburn end so clearly. So with that in mind, I wondered if you had a favourite goal that you scored at Ewood. Loads. Loads of goals. <laughs> uh, Favourites at Ewood. You know, I, mean, I remember that one as plain as day as well, Stephen, what you brought up. Because I remember I was on the bench that game. And I remember speaking to the manager and saying to him, look, any chance of getting on? I says, like, I'm going to score. And we got a free kick just in front of the dugout and he says, right, there's your opportunity, go on. And I can't remember who it was, I, I think it was Jason Wilcox and I was screaming at him, take it, go, quick short one. And he just tapped it to me. And I think I took about three touches and then just hit it. And uh, I think it was Tepe Moylan and it was in goals for Preston that night. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and the big man, I don't know Kiffers at his low right hand side that flew in the back of the net, but I remember when I went to Preston at the end of my career, the first thing Big Tepe said to me is, oh, well, that was an unbelievable goal that you scored against me. He was, and I, yeah, I just thought, oh, I thought he was going to pin me up against the wall. There's so many, you know, I had a chip against Nottingham Forest that I loved just because of the technique of it. Probably had it been a Dennis Bergkamp, it would get mentioned for time and time and time again, but because it was a wee sad jock, uh, it doesn't really get mentioned. So. Uh, but no, he I think I scored a lot of good goals away from Ewood Park, strangely enough. Oh yeah, I think you just scored a lot of uh, great goals, uh, full stop. So of course, today's 25 years since Rovers won the league. Um, unfortunately, you were obviously injured for a lot of that season, but you did help us to a vital three points against Crystal Palace. Uh, what are your memories from that incredible season? 
And uh, Jay wanted me to ask, how does it feel to have a better goals per minute played average than Alan Shearer for that year? <laughs> uh, it? Hey, unbelievable. One and one, you can't beat it. You know, 100% record. No, uh, it was unbelievable. You know, uh, to be fair on, on the lads and that, if, I just felt the way we were going, we had to better ourselves up front. And so I went away and broke my leg against Arsenal uh, and forced the club to go out and buy Chris Sutton and start the SAS. Um, and that was the start of a magnificent partnership. But for me, you know, obviously, I, I look at my injuries, it's been a, an unlucky moment, uh, but one of those moments that kind of spur everybody on. And it kind of Kenny then went out and, as I said, he spent five million in Chris Sutton. And we thought, wow, it's a lot of money to go, but we've done the same when they bought Alan Shearer. So for me, it was, I was like, wow, that was a carrot that I needed. I'm going to be back. I want to split the SAS up. But as they two continued the season, you know, it wasn't just the two of them. Their goals done a lot, but, you know, a lot of defending, a lot of key players in there, a lot of players that, unsung heroes, shall I say, that, that people looked at, like Mark Atkins for mine. You know, I mean, for me, David Batty was brought in to actually do the job that he'd done. And, and David, unfortunately, was beside me in the sidelines for most of the season. And, mm. uh, and Mark had a, a magnificent season, but nobody really looks at that side of it in his progression. You know, you had people at the back like Colin Henry, you know, goalkeeper like Tim Flowers, you know, and mm. guys right down the middle of the team with a great backbone, you know, and, and we look at it and you think we were built on the strength of that backbone. And it was, and people say, oh, was it Batty and things? We say, no, it was Sherwood. Sherwood was the key one in midfield. And I know Tim, he's, he was his captain and things, but he was the one. He was the one that played most of the time. And then, as I said, you, you're looking for figureheads up front score your goals and, and that's what Shearer was all about that's why Kenny went and bought him uh, that's why we were all built as jigsaw pieces to fill in for him and basically we've done it but we've done it two years too early Paul that was a problem yeah no I know it's just one of those things the uh, actually speaking of Alan Shearer uh, you were actually signed to cover Alan Shearer at the time when he was um, out injured uh, did you feel pressure as a result of the signing or was it something that motivated you into kind of doing the, the very best that you could for the club? I never thought about it until later on. Uh, we got Alan, they'd signed Alan 3.3 million and to be fair, I was at Coventry at the time. We'd been developed in, in, in the Premier League at the time and established where Blackburn had just been promoted. So you were kind of sweeping Blackburn under the table a little bit as a team. You kind of opened your eyes up when this guy, Jack Walker, had spent $3.3 million on Alan Shearer. So you kind of took a little bit of notice. And for me, because Kenny Dalglish was the manager there, it was always a big notice for me. So I followed Kenny ever since he played at Celtic all the way through his career. So for me, to then end up speaking to Kenny and to go to Blackburn, it was never come and replace Alan because Alan's out injured. It was always come and we're building this dream come and help us and be part of this squad that we're trying to develop to, to win uh, or trying to be big again in English football. So to sell that for me was was all Kenny had to do and that was it really because I remember the phone call and when I hung up I had to go and get the road atlas out because I didn't know where Blackburn was and that was the biggest thing. You're thinking, where's Blackburn again? And yeah, I thought it must yeah. be near where Kenny is in Liverpool so it must be up there somewhere and Fortunately, it was. It must be such a nice place because I still live in it 20 odd years later. Actually, getting back to uh, we're talking about your uh, your broken leg, and I do remember watching as a kid and being really excited about you coming back from the broken leg. 
and then just through a, a hideous incident or an accident, obviously you ended up uh, breaking the, the other leg for uh, so like two broken legs. I just wondered how does somebody not have the confidence affected by that and how did you create kind of that strong mental uh, attitude to get you through that and back onto the pitch? Well, I thought I said, I had a carrot when I broke my leg and, and Alan and, and sort of were magnificent. I just thought, I mean, no disrespect to Newley and other players that were in there, but I just thought I want to split them up because yeah. I believed that I was good enough to be there. I knew it was going to be very difficult. So I had a carrot. Fortunately for me, we had a great surgeon and a guy called John Hodgkinson, who for me was, was brilliant. Not only was a, a surgeon for me and, and put my leg back together, he basically saved my football career in that manner but uh, he acted as a psychologist as well so initially he spoke to me on a kind of weekly basis then it went to a two weekly basis then it went to a monthly basis so after about I think it was after about five six months when I was playing again in reserves um, he, he was just he just kept saying to me it'll be another two weeks it'll be another two weeks it'll be another two weeks now and I was getting frustrated don't get me wrong but I was lucky because David Batty got injured at the same time. Mm. And then it was someone to share a gymnasium with. So I wasn't really on my own. So I had someone there that, that pushed me so I could push them. So that was that took the distraction away of what we were doing on the football pitch from my point of view. So we could help the lads with a bit of fun while we were still away from the lads, shall we say, mm. uh, in the gym. But for me, uh, the surgeon, John Hodgkinson, basically uh, made me so much for me I thought it was mentally tough anyway until I broke my leg and kind of a lot of loose wires come in your head you think mm. this could be hit because I've seen people's careers being over with broken legs and at that time I always thought no I'm going to be back I'll be back it's three months I'll be back uh, six months later I'm not playing I, I thought god but I just had my, my eldest daughter at the time so that filled my time I was building a house in Blackburn at the time so I had a lot of distractions away to take things away. That side of it filled my head up with good thoughts. So for me, it was just the fact is that I'll, I'll get back playing. And when I started playing in the reserves, uh, it was weird because I played at Wigan. And I mean, Wigan had big divots in it. It was horrible. You kicked the ball down the right wing. And if it hit this actual trench, it just ran down the trench. It would never go out the pitch. <laughs> it was like little things like that. You were going back in time in football pitches. It was really weird. But it was it was... As I said, it made me mentally tougher because John Hoskinson, David Batty, could give me that extra drive to be a success again. Uh, gave me the belief that that I could come back. And I think by seeing David Batty push yourself back to fitness, that's what I wanted to do. And we ended up doing it, and we sort of coming back together and got on in and getting reserve games, and then getting back into the first team. And then all of a sudden, Bats gets into the team. Kenny doesn't think I'm quite ready yet. And then the good thing was Crystal Palace came along and the bad thing was one of the top players of the season, Jason Wilcox, gets an injury. So Kenny then obviously believed that, that I was ready. I was going to be good enough to, to go and fill Jason's boots for the game, which I thought well, was an opportunity. And uh, I went out, took it, scored a goal. A massively important night. Uh, one of the key turning points of the season as well. Get a bad challenge again and end up in hospital wasn't the best thing that ever happened. But from that point of view, that's when you talk about mental toughness, that's when it kicked in. Because I believed that I couldn't break my leg again. And I did. 
and uh, I just picked myself up and believed that I'd be back quicker than normal. We seen the X-ray, and the X-ray to me was it was tiny. We all talk about a broken leg again. It was more like a a little hairline fracture from the original break, and from that point of view, I just picked myself up, dusted myself down, and and knew that it was the end of the season. Fingers crossed for the guys. Just support them. Try and be happy for them, which I was, and then basically get into pre-season training, uh, which I did probably 75% of the time. And uh, lo and behold, you, you get back in uh, the next season, and that was it. It was it was brilliant for me. So from that point of view, uh, mental toughness hadn't even started because it wasn't until probably just when I was leaving Blackburn to go to Newcastle, when John Hodgkinson said to me, it was the proudest moment ever when I was back playing for international setup, and uh, he said I should never have played again. That's, uh, that's incredible. No, I mean, I think um, coming from a family with a lot of Scottish people on my father's side, I feel like that mental toughness comes with being Scottish as well, based on things I've seen from my own family. But, um, so you mentioned Kenny Daglish, obviously, um, you know, pivotal in, in Rovers Premiership winning campaign. Just wondering, in your uh, entire career, is there a, a manager in particular that would you would say was uh, instrumental in shaping who you became as a player? I'm from a football family, so I kind of was getting shaped by family first and foremost. Uh, but probably as a manager, Jim McLean at Dundee United was the one that's. All the managers I've had, I was lucky because I played in, I played with some magnificent guys, managers and coaches, player managers, as in they manage the player, they don't, uh, don't just coach you. I was very lucky that way. I learned a lot from different people. But for me, I think the key was Jim McLean, Walter Smith at Dundee United. As a young kid growing up, getting that opportunity when you were probably about five foot six and about seven and eight, seven and a half, eight stone wet through. Today's game, you wouldn't even get a look in. Um, they gave me an opportunity. They said if I was good enough, I'd play. And they were true to their word. Uh, again, a little bit of luck with an injury to a key player, Ralph Millen. And I got an opportunity to sit on the bench in a European match. But then I got my full opportunity on the Saturday against Glasgow Rangers. And uh, I went out against Glasgow Rangers and, and we beat them 1-0. And to do mm-hmm. that on their home turf was, was massive. And... To be part of that, I just never looked back. So from that young age, I think it was about 18, 19. Uh, from then on, I never looked back of, of being out the first team. Uh, and it was then, ever since then, I'd, I'd always been involved at the highest level of football till the end of my career. Speaking of that, did you ever uh, have any desire to uh, play for one of the big two clubs in Scotland? Or was it just, you know, you always wanted to play in England in the Premier League? Or how... My family background, Jay, basically my grandfather, uh, Patsy Gallagher, played at Glasgow Celtic uh, in the early 1900s. And but basically, the way that I was brought up as a young kid, uh, a 10, 11-year-old kid growing up, uh, my path was to be at Celtic. That was everybody that I spoke to, my uncles. My pathway was following granddad and, and going playing for Glasgow Celtic, having a great career for them, etc., etc. Anybody that knows me is that you know, I've got a little bit of a sly side to me. I'm a little bit of a kind of rebel, rebellious side. When someone pushes me in a corner, I don't want to do it. And that's what happened. I went to, <clears throat> as you do as kids, you get asked to go on trials and do things. And my local team, Clyde Bank, 
the, the chairman asked me to go on trials. I was 13. And they asked me to go on trials with their under 16s. Now, these guys were like men. And I was like a little 10-year-old kid. And I thought, this is weird. They put men against men. And I went on. I played 20 minutes. And, and I'd done really well against guys that were three years older. And before I got home, that chairman went and phoned my dad. Because my dad knew him. And wanted me to sign for my, my hometown team. And I just thought, no, I don't want. I want to leave my options open. And then I got the invite to go to Celtic and train. And uh, I turned down that because I had a, a school's quarter, I think it was a school's Scottish Cup quarterfinals. So I had to turn that down. So then I got a second letter through from Celtic. Uh, they invited me to go and meet the manager, Billy McNeil, at the time. So I went, okay. So I went with Dad and Uncle Tom, who used to play at Dundee. And I went with him. And we went along and basically uh, sat down with Billy McNeil, the whole Celtic board whole parade and, and that's where I was going. Love it, love the cattail there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and basically uh, sat down and, and everything was going. I was going to Glasgow Celtic, there was no doubt about it. And then Billy McNeil turned around to me uh, and said to me, the only thing I'm a little bit scared of is you're a little bit small, a little bit frail, we need to get you on the Guinness. Now, to a 13 year old kid at Glasgow, I'd already started the Guinness. So it was disappointing. <laughs> So for me, uh, no, I just thought that's not the right thing to say to a kid. So I took the option of going and speaking to the Dundee United manager, Jim McLean. And basically Jim McLean just turned around and very nice, very honest man at the time. And I wish I'd known what it was like. And I probably wouldn't have went there, but it was the best part of growing up. And he sold the club to me. He, my size, my weight, nothing mattered uh, until I was 16 because I was a centre midfielder as a kid. I was, what I try and tell the, the kids that I teach, I was Frank Lampard as my junior school and my junior boys clubs. That's who I was. I wasn't quite a midfielder. I wasn't quite, quite a centre forward. But I was that guy in the middle who dictated everything and scored all the goals. And ended up with Dundee United. And I signed for them to the disbelief of Celtic. And for the next... 10, 15 years, I probably was approached by Celtic at least once a year to go wow. and sign. And I just, I didn't want to do it. I became famous in Scotland at Dundee United, successful as a young kid, and fell out with the manager and decided it was time to leave. And the only place I wanted to, to leave was to go to Celtic. I was going to go to them now. I was ready to go to Celtic. I'd grown up, maybe not physically, but mentally I felt I was ready to go and play for Celtic. Uh, but the manager I knew wasn't going to say, sell me to them. I had to come down south. And basically he said that Coventry City have come in for you. And that was it. And to me, when I look back on it, it wasn't one of the most desired clubs that possibly I would have probably picked in the top of my head. But I just wanted out of Dundee United. And I went down to, to Coventry. And the big thing about that was when I came down to, to England, nobody knew me. And I thought, wow, so it is small. So there was my challenge. So I didn't have to go back to Celtic. I had a carrot. I wanted, mm. I wanted, I wanted to be Kevin Gallagher. I want to make people know who I am here in England. And there's not many of us have, or many of us Scottish lads, I should say, have had a successful career without having to play for Celtic or Rangers. Mm. And I'm one of the few. 
Grandad, Grandad, I've got a fantastic idea. Huh, Mr. Morbury going to be signing a player who can take a corner, is he? No, not at all. It's a super offer for all the B-Burn boys and girls out there. If you go to this terrorstore.com, you can get loads and loads of B-Burn mugs, white and blue. You could even get, you know, Benno or Decky and Liv. You can customise them however you want, as long as you use BRFCS at the checkout. Huh. So, once again, Stuart Metcalf cruelly overlooked. Who? And I wanted to ask you about the 1997-1998 season when you had a great partnership with Chris Sutton. So did you enjoy playing with Chris? And do you have a favourite partner that you would pick out of everyone that you've ever played with in your entire career? I love playing with everybody. <laughs> the question was, like, the, I remember Sutton asking me, he says, uh, how, come, how come you're doing so well partnering me? Uh, how can you read my game? Mm. And I just went, I don't know. I just, <laughs> for some reason, I just don't know. I could do it with, I'd done it with Alan. I'd done it with Mitch with part of line and at Dundee United. Um, and we had a great partnership. And it was my highest goal scoring year with him in Scotland. With Mitch with part of line. And so I always thought that I tend to play better with a, a stronger physical guy up front. And I'd done it with Alan. And we'd done well. I'd done it with Sotty. And, and Sotty means Sotty would. I mean, people talk about the goals that Shearer and Sutton scored. The goals that, that Gallagher and Sutton scored together it boosted Sutton up. I think Sutton scored about six or seven goals more than with me than he did with Allen. But I didn't score as many with Allen. I, I was up beside Sutton. So that partnership was good. It was just we knew that we couldn't rely on me and Sutton to get a goal every game. That was the, the only thing. We could with Allen. <laughs> That's the thing. With a guy in Alan Shearer who we knew... Every game he could score a goal. He, everybody created it. But with us, we would always miss that. Probably that one little key chance. Um, and we knew that. But that's why we weren't as top drawer as what, what Shearer was. We were just next door chatting on it. So um, in uh, the 1998-1999 season, you were the top scorer with five goals despite uh, being injured for, for most of the season. Do you think we would have stayed up that year uh, had you been able to feature more? I think so. I think with a few injuries to a few players, I think there was a few fallouts uh, as well. Uh, and I think had all that, it's all been sort of in the boiling pot. Uh, it, was, it was something that was just bubbling up and bubbling away and away. And I think under Roy, I mean, his first year he came in, we were trying to buy into a new, new regime. That season, the second season, uh, was quite difficult. He brought in players and they wanted to play them. Uh, the players that were playing alongside them didn't think they were good enough uh, compared to the players that weren't in the team. So there was a lot of mismatching talk. Uh, and players were getting injured. And when you're not happy, and we class with sales resources, you get injured a lot more. And I think when you're not happy, and I think that's what happened to a lot of players, they kind of... We're thinking, well, oh, I'm going to be leaving because that's the initial thought. You're not playing. You've been in the team for two years and then all of a sudden you're not in it. Uh, and then these guys come in. So instead of looking on it in the bright side and saying, well, look, these guys aren't going to take my place. I think a lot of guys just kind of switched off a little bit. And it, it caused problems for us and we were trying to play. And, and this, the downhearted thing for me is the way, you know, when Roy gets sacked and, and the new manager came in, Brian Kidd, you know, I came into the team and, half 
50%, 60 percent trying to, to do a job for a team and try what I can do and people don't appreciate you, then I understand why people fall out in the football world and that's what happened with me. At the end of it, uh, I went from when Tony Parts was a caretaker manager and decided to give me the captain's armband and unfortunately against Forrest to score a goal, miss a penalty and I pull a hamstring at the same time. So it was three things happen at once. Uh, after that, Brian Kidd decided that I wasn't even first-choice striker. So to drop from first to fifth-choice striker in a league below, uh, I wasn't wearing it, and i just never seen eye-to-eye with him. And I would have stayed at Blackburn. Uh, John Williams knew I wanted to stay at Blackburn, uh, whether we're in the, the league below or not. Um, I was settled in the area. I was at an age where if I was going to move it, it didn't look like I'd probably go sideways or probably down the way, but it didn't. Uh, a, a, a massive move for me materialised and going to Newcastle, and I really couldn't say no to Sir Bobby Robson. You know, I told him I wasn't moving house in the hope that he might turn around and say, well, we're not signing you, but he didn't. He said, I want you to sign. I said, don't move house, live in Blackburn and come up and, and we'll see how it goes. And, and that's what I did. And I did it for two years at Newcastle and done well. That's quite a um, a shout, the fact that you were Bobby Robson's first uh, signing at Newcastle United, I believe. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it was massive. Uh, I'll tell you, it was absolutely massive for me. Just because, uh, you know, it's when you fall out of a club and, you, and a club that you've kind of had what, seven, eight years at and, and joined the time, you've built houses there, you live in the area, your children grew up there get to know the people there, you know the club inside out, and then this one manager comes in and decides that you are out. It's quite difficult to take, especially when you've still got a lot to offer the football club. Um, so for me, that was the hardest thing, but to go to Newcastle, again, I just, to get away from Brian Kidd, for me, was just jumping ship, and that's what I did. I didn't even look to see that Newcastle was sitting, I think it was third bottom in the league, and think, wow, we'll get a battle on our hands, but when I went there, it was a different job that I had. It wasn't just to go as a, a football player. I was actually there mm-hmm. uh, to help out, basically see where the, the deadweed at uh, Newcastle was because with a lot of top quality players who names on paper were brilliant, but on a pitch and a dressing room were destroying a club inside. Yeah. Was there, when the Newcastle transfer came about, was there a number of clubs you were looking at and Newcastle were just kind of the the best, they gave you the best offer, or was it Newcastle somewhere you really wanted to go regardless? No, I wasn't going. Uh, Stephen, I'll tell you, yeah, I was I was staying at, at Blackburn, I'll tell you the story. We played Walsall uh, at Ewood Park, and played Walsall, and I can't actually remember the result, but I'd done everything that game apart from score a goal. It's probably one of the best games I've had for a long time, and I know it was a lower division, but I played ever. I'd done everything well. I proved my fitness to Brian Kidd because he kept telling me I, didn't, I wasn't proving my fitness. And I just, just couldn't believe it. And the only thing I didn't do against Walsall was score the goal. And I was absolutely knackered. I gave everything that game and I went into the shower. I was last in the shower and I was in a moan and Brian Kidd came in. And he turned round to me and he said to me, uh, Kevin, I've been sp- speaking to the boss, which was Jack Walker, and we're, we're thinking about extending your contract. Because my contract was going up the next season, the end of next season. And uh, I said, brilliant, that's, that's fantastic news. Uh, thanks very much. Finished in the shower, went out, 
went home, spoke to the missus, says, oh, by the way, Brian Kidd's been speaking to Jack. I don't believe it. And she went, why don't you believe him? I says, I just never got the feeling that he meant it. Mm. But four or five days later, I was at Newcastle. Wow. <laughs> he, did get, he, did get, he did get me the new contract. It just wasn't at Blackburn. <laughs> so there was no other club involved. Uh, there was no five or six clubs there chaffing at the door wanting me. It was just the fact that it was Newcastle and that was it. Boom, I went and it was straight away. I don't even, I can't even remember if I took my boots or anything up with me. I just left. Don't, I never, I know one thing, which I, I, a biggest regret about leaving Blackburn, I never went to say goodbye to everybody. That was the worst of it because I just stopped and left. And that was it. So for me, that, that was a disappointing thing. So uh, where do you see Rovers being in five years, providing that uh, things return to normal, you know, globally? <laughs> no, I think personally, if you turn back the clock before this pandemic happened around the world in the way it was, I, th I think Tony Mowbray has been doing a magnificent job, first and foremost. I think he's been doing absolutely fantastic with a budget that's basically minimal. One or two of his buys were spent and were still question marks, but it's youth and it's the future. And you're hoping these guys can progress. Uh, for me, watching them on a, on a daily basis and, and seeing what we've got, at the moment, I would say we're a probably a 10th place in the championship team. That's, for me, in my opinion, that's an area. But when we punch above our weight, we could maybe, maybe sneak into the playoffs. But we need to punch. We need to have more better players playing on a regular basis. You know, and we lost Bradley Dack. And I must admit, I thought, wow, we're going to lose a lot of goals here. But Adam Armstrong took to the plate and, and done the business. And for me, I would say with Adam doing that, we haven't really missed uh, Dacky. But what I, I mean, when Dacky's back in this little break, hopefully, fingers crossed, he'll get himself fit and when he comes back into the team again, we'll get that boost like he's a new player again and hopefully, uh, again, we'll, we'll push forward and if we can, if the season gets finished or we need to restart the new season, then the owners can help Tony with a, a few pennies to, to try and get some other players in. To strengthen it a little bit, I think we need probably about six players uh, if we're going to really, really get into a, a chance of going into the the Premier League. Do you think that uh, the team kind of needed to learn how to play without Dak as well? Like I, I felt that Adam Armstrong and a couple of these other players, for their growth in their games, I felt that they really did that when we weren't just running everything through Dak, you know, like we had been before he got injured. Oh yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, I think. It's like anything, it's when people try to stop us because we played through Shearer. You're your main man, you're going to do it. But we had so many good players in different positions that we could create things. At the moment, we don't actually have that. That's the hardest thing, you know. We've got good players there that can do things. And I think Blackburn are going back to the old team spirit. Uh, we need 11 players playing for each other. Uh, and I think... Tony, when he was playing Dacky and he played him out of position and played him on the left and things like that, and it wasn't quite working. For me, you look at Adam Armstrong and I can see why managers get frustrated. He's a young lad, but for me, he is a centre-forward. That's where he's better. 
he's better getting the ball half turned and, and going having a go. But we play him wide in this system to to sacrifice him to do a job. And we always thought if we lose Dak and we lose twenty goals, who's going to fill it? Now you just push in Armstrong into Dakey's position and, and there's already made replacement. He gone and scored the goals. Uh, I just think the start of this season had we started with Dak and Graham up front, personally, we would be better than where we are at the moment. Uh, when you take your two strikers or your two people out, there's 36 goals or something they scored last year. And you take that out the team at the start of the season, I know you brought in Sam Gallagher and you're trying to give people the chances. Uh, for me, really, if they'd have started with those two, that is a massive threat. And if they do start the season on fire, wow, it's... I think we'd have probably had about 10 points better off than what, we are, what we're sitting on at the moment on the table. Was there, out of the current squad, uh, if you had to pick one player that you would have liked to have played with, is there anyone that stands out for you? If I, go, if I went through the teams that I probably played in, I don't know. I don't know if anybody would probably get into the teams at the moment. <laughs> and that's, that's not been disregarding to them. I mean, I fortunately played with a lot of good players. If, if, even if I take that the Blackburn team I played in, who could I play with? Danny Graham. I could play with Danny Graham up front, I think. I think I could score Dackey's goals, probably at my age just now. Uh, <laughs> Danny Graham. I think now. I mean, to be fair, I like the boy Travis, Lewis Travis. I think he's come on leaps and bounds um, when I first seen him. Dara Lenehan. When Dara first came into the team as a midfielder, uh, myself and Andy Bays with BBC Radio Lancashire we were doing the commentary and we got this young kid Dara Lennon's playing I went he's going to be a centre half one day and he's looking at me nah, nah. and we've got this argument on radio nah, he's centre midfield centre midfield said no nah, he'll be centre half one day and to be fair <laughs> where's he playing centre half yeah. and you just, you know, like, that little bit of luck that I've seen that in that player or what but yes there's a lot of Still a big bit that Dara's got to learn, but I tell you what, one kid I seen grow up that I thought was brilliant was David Rea. Um, I seen him mature. He's, I mean, his distribution was brilliant, but he was having ropey time. And no disrespect to Christian, I think Christian now is coming into his game, but I thought David Rea's got better distribution, a uh, better start of the game, and probably the way it was. But his presence probably needed a little bit more to build on. And I think that's probably why Tony sold him. And everybody's scratching their head. £3 million for a goalkeeper that was homegrown. But that £3 million, whether it goes back into the academy for other players to come up through, would be very, very interesting. Mm. You know, I mean, people give him Ari Bellstick, Ryan Nyambi. You know, Ryan Nyambi, I've seen Ryan Nyambi, a 15-year-old kid. He hasn't changed and he's playing in the first team. Yeah. Uh, for me, I have a harp on about it and... I think he's a brilliant player, but he's got no end product. And for me, if coaches are coaches and they're worth their salt, they work on these weaknesses. Now, Ryan's only just starting to work. He should have been working on it the last five years. Um, but he's only learning about it now. And hopefully now they've got people in there that can see these things that, that are little weaknesses in players and, and try and do it. Because, I mean, I watched Ryan the last couple of games and some of these crosses he were getting in, he was just crossing them into spaces, and I thought, brilliant. And people go, but he's not crossing them. He says, no, but he's getting a cross in. That's the key thing. And it's, Stuart Rick will tell you, Jason Wilcox will tell you, 
I can tell you, it's not always about crossing onto someone's foot or their head. It's about putting into the space that they can run onto. Mm. It's about educating each other and helping each other. I mean, Alan Shearer used to come in and give us absolute dog's abuse if we went on the end of one of his crosses. <laughs> and yet we've got a young Ryan, that Ryan Nyambi, running past everybody for fun and then stopping and waiting for help. And you're like, cross it. Yeah. And then you blame the strikers. And, and that's what he has to learn. And it's just passing on knowledge to these guys. And you know I mean, just people would love to do it, um, but other people are in the job. I have to, I have to ask a question about somebody that I've uh, seen in training recently. Uh, Harley, the golden bear. <laughs> how's, uh, how's Harley doing? Harley's doing really well at the minute. Uh, his teeth are getting sharper, shall I say, for a little one. Uh, <laughs> No, he's coming on leaps and bounds. Uh, every day we notice a massive difference in him. It's really, I mean, this is my third golden retriever. And having lost my last one, who that dog, the Baxter, was the best thing that ever happened. He was, he had everything, every package you could look for within a dog, he had it. Now, Harley's got a lot to, a lot to live up to now, but uh, he's shown big signs of it. And we're only in day three, I think, now. So he's just had injections today. We had him at the vet, and hopefully, in, I think it's about 10 days, he gets allowed to go out and meet people and meet dogs. So there'll be a lot of walking on the on the horizon quite soon. And I believe at the minute my, my wife is, has been on the, the shopping looking for these rucksacks that you carry your dog in. <laughs> now, he got weighed today, and he's, I think he's £7, £7.9 or something. And I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be... I need to start doing quad exercises and leg exercises. <laughs> a lot of heavy walking soon. Yeah, so if anybody, if anybody Instagram, Harley underscore the golden bear, you got uh, pictures of uh, Kevin uh, putting him through his, uh, through his paces out there on the pitch. It's, uh, it's great. <laughs> it's an early start. Just introduce them to uh, football uh, and having a little bit of a uh, just strengthening his legs up, really. You know, he, he's he's just a bundle of energy, and uh, you're thinking of things. And of course, I'm doing my stuff in my soccer school, so I've got I'm doing stuff in my garden, and all the stuff's lying there. So I just try and take his attention away from chewing it all up. It's just go about with him and do things with him, and it's, it's, you just do silly things. So it's it's one of those things. It's he's got his own Instagram account. He's getting more famous than what I am. So. It's, <laughs> He's getting big, so I need to I need to keep him grounded a little bit. So we'll keep him down there. What am I doing at the minute? I'm sitting in the house. I'm working on videos for my GH Soccer School, my one to ones. I've been doing that, and then you, you can tune in. Um, I think uh, BBC Radio Lancashire are, are actually trying to uh, get things online for games and that, and that's the future. I think going along, you can listen to it in, in New York, and and you can get sort of better coverage. With the with, with us, and you you listen to my dulcet tones, and you've got a good night's sleep. So from that, um, but no, it's, you can always push things. Uh, so maybe one time I'll get over, and uh, I'll see you guys over there, and uh, it'll be nice to meet you all. Yeah, no, that'd be fantastic. That that would be great. Anytime. Yeah, it's a right. pleasure, boys. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. You have a good night. And you guys, take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye.
thanks so much to Kevin Gallagher there for giving up his time to be interviewed by our great friends at New York City Rovers, Stephen and Jay. Thanks very much to those guys once again. And also, of course, to the cemetery for all the music used in this episode. We'll see you soon. need auto parts o'reillyauto.com is just a click away order online and pick up at your local store visit o'reillyauto.com oh 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 o'reilly auto parts when cynthia came to TurboTax, she had just launched her new side gig a true crime podcast i'm a first-rate detective with a golden voice as her TurboTax expert, I made her second income count by guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and her maximum refund. <clears throat> what did she do with that refund? Find out next week. Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.